This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. Now, our guest in this episode is changing the way we look at our health. And on the way through, he's building a successful business in the process. Dr. Noel Duncan is an expert in exercise physiology with a focus on disease prevention. And in 2013, he launched his business, SISU Health, pronounced SISU, with the word SISU meaning resilience and toughness in the Finnish language. The main product, it is self-service health stations or kiosks that allow you to complete your own health check in just four minutes, assessing things like blood pressure, heart rate, body mass index, and diabetes risk. Now, by the way, this is a free service, so you're not paying for it. I want to ask Noel how Australians are taking to this new way of assessing our health, what the opportunities are in the growing preventative health market, and whether his revenue model is sustainable and how he builds customer trust when it comes to collecting that all-important data, which we're very sensitive about. So let's get into it. Dr. Noel Duncan, welcome to The Mentor. Thank you, man. Great to be here. Now, I'm intrigued by your story. Obviously, I've been pre-briefed, but I'm, you know, so our audience hasn't been. I'm going to sort of draw through this. But first and foremost, uh, doctor, is that a? <laughs> are you a medical doctor? No, or? no, absolutely. You're no. a a PhD in physiology, exercise physiology. Okay, so what does a PhD in exercise physiology mean? So I did my training in muscle physiology, actually, back in back in the day um, at Melbourne University. Um, Lucky enough to work in a muscular dystrophy lab, actually. Um, but I always knew that I wanted to get involved with exercise and, yep. uh, and muscles are a very important component of exercise. And so passionate about uh, exercise and sport. And so um, even from a young age, that's kind of the way that my, uh, my path played out. It's interesting. Exercise physiology yeah. 20 years ago. I mean, 20, 30 years ago, no one really ever heard of it. I mean, no. by the way, people weren't even doing, um, going to the gym in those days. True. And, um, I remember when I was a kid, the, when I was playing footy, like in my late teens, et cetera, yeah. um, all you ever did was run and you might've done a few bench presses and, uh, <laughs> threw a few right, throw a few weights around, but no one ever thought about the physiology of your muscles True. And, and exercise. True. You just got, put a backpack on and a pair of old slats and shoes and went for a run to the Harbour Bridge and back from uh, Bondi or something. With no drinking? No, with no drink. And in fact, I used to drink the night before. Uh, yeah, yeah, That was yeah, booze. Yeah, yeah, and then correct. me and my mates, we'd get on, we'd get there and work out what the hottest part of the day was and see how far we could go. <laughs> um, and I, and I guess exercise physiology, 
has changed all that. It has. And really it advanced has. us. It has. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sort of intrigued. I'm sitting here talking to an exercise physiologist um, who I've never met before. Um, how you decided that this was, I mean, sure you're interested, but how you decided that this was a rising tide, an area which is going to be one day something that you could build a business off the back of? It's, it's pretty simple um, for me, Mark, in that I love sport, love exercise, always have. You know, being you like exercising yourself, or yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, always. You know, um, you know, I grew up swimming um, and um, a really passionate sort of uh, participant. Um, unfortunately, I wasn't given the right genes and was no good at pretty much most of the sports that I participated in. So I knew that for me to participate at the top level, I needed to go into the academic role or go into sort of the coaching or or the management and. Um, and so, you know, in my late teens, I realized that I wanted to be involved and so knew that I had to go down the study route. And, uh, and so from a pretty much an early age, realized that I had to follow the academic path through university. And so, um, you know, did my science, did my physiology, did my biochemistry, um, and then went on and did an honors degree. And then from that went on and did my PhD, knowing full well that exercise science or, or exercise physiology at the end um, was what I wanted to do. And I always knew that, you know, the science was evolving pretty quickly as well and, and knew that there was a bigger role to play for, for the sp- um, sports people to actually improve the way that they're pr- um, presenting themselves. You know, I know the Roosters, we have a sports scientist yep. and we have a ho- whole host of scientists. Yep. Um, you know, and technology companies these days have data scientists. And yep. uh, so it's sort of the emergence of the scientist Absolutely. today. I mean, yeah, it's great yeah, to hear. I mean, yeah, yeah. but when, at what point? At what point in your career, because we'll, we'll talk about your business in a moment, but I'm just trying to dig around your career a little mm. bit. At what point in your career did you decide to stop being a scientist and go into the business of science? Yeah, um, I was uh, it's probably in the late 90s um, and, and my brother, who's very entrepreneurial, um, sort of was encouraging me to, to try to you know, think about scaling you know, my knowledge and, and think about sort of scaling the information that we're presenting and you know, no, let's, let's not be uh, modest. How to make fucking money? That's yeah, correct. Really, okay, correct. Right. Uh, correct. So I, I was working at the Collingwood Footy Club at the time. Oh yeah. Um, Are you from Melbourne? I am from Melbourne. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, oh, the great magpies. I know I alienate a lot of people by saying that, but uh, go go the magpies. Yeah. Oh, that's good, man. I'm glad you're. Uh, well, I was a sponsor. Very, very... I sponsored uh, Wizard I, sponsored I, uh, Collingwood for years. I think it was around the same time. Actually. Yeah. I it remember, was. I, I was early late mid two thousands. Yeah. Yeah. Eddie got me. Eddie McGuire absolutely nailed me. I mean, he's the genius. Genius at getting sponsors. I don't know how the <laughs> fuck he got me, but he got me so good it was ridiculous. I just quickly tell you a story. I know it's about you, but I think this is worth telling people. I remember Eddie said to me, Collingwood came second last in that the year prior to me being sponsored. He yeah. said to me, "Listen, mate, they're going to be pretty cheap. You can sponsor us because they just lost the equivalent of our RTA, your roads and traffic people. One yeah, of the correct. Collingwood players got drunk and uh, they withdrew. So he said, mate, there's a, a sponsorship which on the away jersey and on the back of the jersey at home." Front front away and back of the jersey at home, and I think um, Emirates was on the front of your jersey, somewhere like that. Yep, yep, correct. And I said, okay, cool. How much? He said, blah. And he said, look, it's pretty cheap. He said, but the way we work it is, he said, if we get into the eight, you pay a bit extra. If you get into this, and you pay a bit extra. He said, but look, we you know we come second last. <laughs> well, the fucking next year, for the next four years, they were in the grand final and they were in the top eight every year. And I was paying bonuses, and what was started to be quite cheap ended up being really expensive. Mate, he is a genius, Eddie McGuire. He, is, he got he me is. good. That was, and that was Dimitri's last period, around about that period. So that was a little story I wanted to throw in there. It's got nothing to do with that. No, I so, remember it very well. In you fact, remember I was, that? I was, I, was uh, I think I was walking the tan with Eddie one day and, and I said, what are you doing after this? And he said he was actually coming to meet with you. 
and that he was actually trying to. Uh, did to he tell you he was trying to nail me? Because he fucking did. He um, did. He and did. I remember, and I he remember ringing me on a Saturday morning. I was at footy with my kids. They were playing footy, and I was at a park, and I missed the whole game. I was on the phone. He was telling me how good sponsorship of Collingwood is. You know how important. You know how how great it is, and the rewards you get out of it. And uh, like he's the best salesman at that time, at least that I've ever met in my life. Now let's just stop talking about because no, I know because we're going to kill everyone talking about Collingwood. So um so um you, so, but you're from Collingwood. So I, I or that area. Yeah yeah no so, yeah well no 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 um out in Doncaster actually Doncaster grew up, grew up in Doncaster yeah but um so I was I was working at uh, at Collingwood at the time and getting asked to go and do a talk and in what about capacity it. were you working there? So I was, I was full time um exercise physiology head, right. head of sports science which so, means what I mean what do you do? Did so you go in the field out, and show them how to run or something? Or? Yeah so we had uh, so under me we had an, an athletics coach we had masseurs um, we had uh, dietitians um, of course then there's a the whole medical side as well. Um, but we had a biomechanist as well, and just trying to make sure that we optimise the physical performance for the players. Right. So, so you you sat at the top of the team and yeah, correct, and, and ran the strategy around, around the chemistry ha- and the mechanics of correct. the players and how they run and train and exactly. how they recover and all that yeah, sort of stuff, absolutely. and how to avoid injury, which and, is yeah. so important. And you pre-season know, yeah, training to, all that. to to make sure that they're fit for the, the, the season coming up. Correct. And yeah, yep. in that period, mm. what did you learn that you took forward into your new business, which we, we, we were going to talk about? But yep. what did you learn? Oh, gee. I, I, I don't fact, mean I was, in a technical sense. No, but... I learn an enormous amount about the politics of sport and, and learn an enormous amount about the way to deal with people and, and, and uh, just a, a huge amount about life, I suppose. You know, I came straight out of academia. You know, I was working over at Penn State University um, doing my postdoctoral fellowship. You know, I'd come through Melbourne Uni System. I'm very much in the academic sort of role. Yeah, scientist. Thrown, then, but then you become a business. Thrown straight into the, into the footy world. Yeah. And, and as you know, you know, it was an unbelievable education. You know, I didn't actually learn a lot from a, from a scientific perspective, but I often think to myself, you know, it was an unbelievable education in terms of the way that you have to deal with different stakeholders. You have to make sure that you try to get your own way by, you know, negotiating a whole range of stakeholders, whether it's, you know, it's the, the coaches, it's the players, it's the medical team, it's other pressures that are going on. Um, so I, I learned a huge amount, and I often credit you know. And those, where's that the time. demand? I mean, what what did you see about aggregate demand for a business proposition as a result of dealing with these players? What, what yeah, did you so, see? So I would, at being holding that position at, at, at the footy clubs, um, you would always get asked to go and give a talk, you know, about nutrition, about you know how can I lose a few kilograms? Can you write me a program? Can you look at my nutrition profile? Um, not scalable, you know, absolutely not scalable. You can go and talk to two, three hundred people. You walk away with a lovely bottle of red wine. Um, but unfortunately that doesn't pay the mortgage, the bottle of red wine. So what we realized is what I realized that you actually have to try to build something that you could actually get out to the population and as a population could participate in you know, a whole range of different programs. Most people want to live a healthier life. You know, it's pretty hard um, to live a healthier life. Most people want to live a healthier life. They just need some really simple tips to be able to do that. And so what we tried to do is to break it down and give the give people really, really simple tips. And it was around the time of the internet, the internet boom, um, sort of in 2001 when I started, uh, I was called Fitness to Live with a couple of colleagues from uni. And uh, and we built out a proposition, which which is an online health platform where you could go and do a health uh, risk appraisal, basically just a questionnaire. And from that, we'd identify a whole range of different programs that you could participate in. I guess what I'm, what I'd like to know is, as a scientist, and then as somebody who was using your knowledge of science to help a football club. Yep. Um, 
What is the, the general feeling in the community? I mean, I guess there's a global feeling, but at least the community in, that you were dealing with and in the broader community in Melbourne and the broader community in Victoria and the broader, broader community in Australia and yep. perhaps the global community. What is the feeling about health? I mean, not in terms of exercise physiology, but yep. what is it, what's the sense of health? I mean, I mean, how do people feel about health? What do you think? I, I really strongly believe most people, most people, the majority of people want to live a little bit healthier. Um, I also think that it's really, really so difficult. It's a thought that- yep, absolutely. Yeah. I think just most people want to try to live a little bit healthier. Now, we also um, can sometimes, you know, be a little bit lazy as well and, and, and take the take the easy choice, you know, take the take, takeaway meal instead of doing the, uh, you know, the home-cooked meal or, you know, catch an Uber instead of walking, you know, that one kilometre um, so I think you've got competing interests, haven't you? There's huge, and everyone's busy and everyone's, um, you know, very, very time poor, but you know, it's, it's difficult. It is really difficult to live a healthy life in, in, in the way the society is set up. But I think most people genuinely want to try to live a healthier life. So there's a lot of enthusiasm for it. Um, but I also think there's a lot of barriers to actually live a healthy life as well. It's interesting you say the internet is something that actually um, spurred you along a little bit, but it's also internet competes with you too because it's through the internet that we get access to Uber Eats and Absolutely. all the others, um, which A, stops us from going down outside, at least walking 50 paces and jumping yep. in our car, yep. or alternatively walking there to to get the food altogether, or yep. even better, growing my own vegetables and tending to the garden and cooking myself, which is probably the ultimate yeah. way of being healthy. Yeah. Um, so on one hand, you're competing against the internet as well. So Obviously. the internet helps you get your story out, your message. It helps scale. Yep. yep. And get scalability in yep. terms of, you know, yep. transactions. Yep. But on the other hand, you're also competing against it as well. Oh, for sure. And, and I think we're going to continue to compete against it as well. Who's going know, to be the so. more powerful? Is it going to be Uber Eats and they're going to take over... The, the desire to remain healthy. In other words, you're right. I'm tempted. I'm going to sit back and I say, oh, fuck that. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to just ring up Uber Eats and get them to deliver me whatever I'm looking for, and hamburgers and chips because I just saw an ad on telly. I'm just going to kick back and watch the footy. Stuff being healthy. Oh, look, it, it worries me, Mark. You know, I'm, I'm 50 and, uh, you know, I got home the other day and I noticed that there was a uh, Uber Eats on, uh, on the kitchen table with uh, one of my children. I said, what's going on? They said, yeah, I was a bit too tired. So it was 800 metres at the walk, and they got Uber Eats for 800 metres. Now, fair to say, we had to sit down and had a conversation about that decision and that choice that they make. But, you know, my, my son thought it was just normal. It was okay to get an Uber Eats for 800 metre walk. And so, and I think it's just, you know, the generations are, are changing, and uh, we need to try to make sure that we p- put things in place to make sure that they can live a healthier life because the burden of disease for, for them and for their children is going to be enormous and someone's going to have to pick up the tab at some stage. It's probably not your market though, him, is it? So who, who, is, who is your market now? Yeah, at the moment with uh, with uh, Sister Health Group, it's uh, people who are, well, it's the general population. It's my friends. It's my mum and dad. It's, it's your it's age the, group? It's the non-athlete. No, look, the majority of our users at the moment are probably 25 to 45. Um, people who are just really interested in their health and people who just want a little bit of support. Um, but what we are trying to do is, is with our health stations in public facilities is make them accessible to anyone and make sure that anyone can do a free health check at any time, doesn't matter where they are, 
And then what we will do is look after their data so they can go back and do a free health check for the rest of their life. And what we can do is graph their information because if we can graph um, someone's body weight as an example for the next 10 years and it's going in the wrong direction, maybe that's the catalyst for them to say, hey, I'm actually going to do something and take control of their own destiny in terms of the way that their health is going. This is a little bit like, a, this, this show is a little bit like a pitch to some people and, uh, and so I'm asking you if you were pitching to me. I'd, first thing I'd be saying to you, if you didn't already tell me, I'd be saying, and what I'm trying to establish here is in the first half, is what is your addressable market? And now, you know, you can say it's the whole world and it's everybody, <laughs> um, which is fair enough. Um, that's probably what you do if you're talking to an investor. But <laughs> let's just look at it a little bit more critically. Um, I agree with you. It's not the people from, from zero to maybe 25 or even a bit older because they live mm. in this world like young Lockie over here. Um, well, maybe he's a bit different, but they – generally tend to um, think about, yeah, it's normal to get my food. It's not normal for me to walk to somewhere. It's, and they're invincible too at that age as well. Totally. And, yeah. you know, they don't think about health issues. Um, so is your addressable market, I mean, you say 25, but, okay, that might be a bit ambitious. I mean, is it people more your age, you know, starting to think to themselves, hang on, um, I know my mother's had this disease and my father yeah. had that disease. I mean, is it those people? It is. It, it's... The market we're trying to address is people who are interested in their health. No, no, no. And what you're trying to address, what is your addressable market? Who are they? Who's uh, coming to you? Men. Men, men. yeah. And, and particularly um, men who are around about 45 to 55. Right. And, and historically, that's a really, really difficult market because Why? a lot of men don't go to their GPs. A lot of men don't want to talk about their health. A lot of men think that they've got it under control when the statistics show clearly that they don't. One of the things that we've been able to show with our health stations is that it's an anonymous um, interaction. So there's no one sitting across the table from you pointing the finger. It's a machine. The mach you can lie to the machine if you want to, but the machine's just going to give you some information back that, that knows that you've been lying. Can you tell so, me a little bit more about this particular audience? Can you just give me a little bit more of a profile yeah. on this individual in this community, though? So, sure. so give me a real sort of tight profile of an individual. I know you're going to say there's lots of variations, but no. what are they? Uh, Exportsmen or are they working no. in the office environment? Are they okay. tradies? Yeah, for sure. Office office environment, particularly. Yep. Um, working in IT, probably with a body mass index of, you know, 30 to 35, which is high. Is it? You know, sort of 20 to 25 is what we should be sort of going for. So uh, the individual um, is probably got, carrying a lot of stress, um, probably not talking about it, um, probably not making the right food choices because they're so busy. Uh, often got some young children or, or early teens, um, got some, potentially some, some financial problems as well, doesn't have time to go and do exercise because there's so many other competing priorities. And so that's the typical sort of 45-year-old in, individual that we're trying to help. Born in the 70s. Born in the early 70s, yep. absolutely, but really busy, um, a lot of pressures, um, probably has a, you know, a couple of too many beverages, um, probably isn't making the right food choices and probably hasn't got enough time to do any physical activity. Right. So what we're trying to do is to make that person aware that there are other choices. And so one of the reasons why we've built the health station is to start the conversation with that individual. And one of the things you can't do to that individual is preach to them. Right. Because they're so busy and they're going to dismiss you and they're going to tell you that you don't understand because of all their other competing priorities. So what we have to do is subtly 
um, educate that individual and subtly um, encourage that individual to make some really simple choices. And those choices might be, you know, to walk to the local shops with the with the young kids, or if they are dropping their kids off to some you know, sporting activities, to maybe walk a lap or two of the oval while they're watching their child participate in the sport. And is that addressable, Mark? Just just on the profile, because yeah. I mean, like mm. sending a product or a service to a, a customer base is about profiling the customer base. Yep. So you just sort of gave me a bit of a profile. I do mm. want to come back in the second half to about the data and yep. um, you know how Absolutely. you how you uh, rinse your data and you know how you mm-hmm. find out specifically what the profile is. Yep. Um, but that particular individual has a certain psyche. Um, person born in the seventies, maybe in the sixties, late sixties. Um, they have a psyche about themselves, particularly the men. Are they barriers that you need to bash down? I don't know if they are. Well, they're open to it. I think they're open to it. I, I really do. So long as it's um, not too difficult. And, and that's the thing that we need to make sure that we don't, uh, we don't sort of set the bar too high for these individuals. What we don't want to do is to, is to get this you know, 45-year-old man who's working in IT, um, who's, who's you know, working potentially 50, 55 hours a week, to go off and run a marathon because it's just not achievable. But what we might be able to get that individual to do is to catch the train and, and walk the one kilometre to the office and maybe you know pick up something different for, for like a salad for lunch rather than some hot chips. And it's just making those really, really simple choices that we need to encourage. But for that individual to make that choice, there also needs to be something measurable for that individual as well. And the really simple way to measure that is, is what we've tried to design is the health station so that they can track their results because the way that we need to encourage them to continue is to show them that there's actually a tangible change and that they're actually improving. That, that's that, It's funny, this morning, I, I, mean, I was up pretty early today and uh, I was just looking around on some stuff and I was, as I was uh, putting my shoes on and uh, I have a table right near where I was doing that and uh, on there I have I just have to throw a whole lot of magazines that I read and there was uh, two magazines that just stood out, two covers of two magazines I looked at. One was a Time magazine and the other one was a Popular Science magazine. And the Popular Science magazine said... Uh, the front cover was about living longer mm-hmm. and it had a photograph of some pills and drugs you might be able to take. I, I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I have read it a long time. It's an old magazine. And then the one next to it was Time magazine. And interesting enough, it said living longer and better. That was the, you know, the front cover of the Time magazine. And it seems to me that I got a feeling and I, it's just a feeling um, that people in the world today are interested in living longer, but better. Oh, absolutely, but, but higher quality, yeah, and it's something absolutely. in my mind. Um, I don't want to live a long time if I'm bloody sick and, and I'm having a shit time. Hundred percent. Um, but I do want to li- do both. I want to live longer and and better uh, uh, quality. And th- this is, I guess, this is what you're sort of tapping into, isn't it? It's living better. I think that's the really important thing. And and, and you touch on a great point is that we don't want to be sort of living into our eighties and nineties if the quality isn't there. But we do know, and the science shows really clearly, that if we do look after ourselves, our quality of life, you know, in those later years can be, you know, really, really good. And so, and it's the choices that we're making in our 30s and our 40s and our 50s, which is going to have a significant bearing on the way that our later years actually do, you know, play out. And what we're trying to do, I've really got a belief that it's up to the individual. You know, we can't have that as the government's responsibility. We can't have it as the insurance responsibility. We can't have it as the corporate's responsibility. So what we've tried to do, what we're trying to do is to allow the individual to what we call own their health and make choices for themselves and support that individual as much as we can so they can live better into their into their later years. I mean, what do you say to the people who say, and we're going to go to the break in a second, yep. but like, 
What do you say to people who say, oh, fucking bullshit, um, I'm either going to get struck down by cancer, you can't cure <laughs> cancer, you can't cure heart, a coronary heart disease, or I might get uh, motor neuron disease or you know, dementia or what, some other thing. There's no cures for any of these things. I'm just going to live it the way I want to live it. I'm going to live it full as I can. You know, like, uh, you know, there's a lot of people around the world. I mean, I won't, oh, well, like Kyle Sandilands, for example, you know, he's a good bloke. He just enjoys his life. And he looks like he doesn't give a shit about anything to me. Um, and I wonder whether he's having more fun than everybody else. What do you reckon? I think that's okay. And coming back to your question about your addressable market, you know, we can't help everyone. Our products and services aren't for everyone. But what we're trying to do is to make them broad enough so that maybe Kyle does jump on a health station at some stage in his life and he thinks about it. And if he starts to but think about it. What do you say when it, he says, oh, fuck it, it's all bullshit? I, I, um, I what, think that that's okay. I, I think that's what does his, your business say to others who say that in, in, in the market? That's, the market's big. The market's big enough for a percentage of individuals to say that, and, and and we're okay with that because that's the individual's choice. The individual is owning their own health, and they've decided to not look after their health. And what we're trying to do is to look out, help the people who have decided that they want to try to improve their health. So we can't help everyone, and we'd be we'd be naive and silly to think that we could. But what we would hope that for someone like Carl, Carl, maybe. Maybe in five years, 10 years, he might start to think about it. And if he does jump on, he does get a measurement today. And then in 10 years time, he realizes that he's actually an extra 10 kegs bigger. He might think, well, actually today's the day and that's okay. I mean, it's a funny sort of um, idea. I mean, I do know people who think that way. I know blokes who actually, mates of mine who say, oh, that's all bullshit. You know, like I'm, I'm not going to worry about it. Like they, they do it, they don't sort of say so much in terms of health, but they like, being aware and doing the sort of things you're proposing, but yep. they talk about drinking, smoking, yep. all that sort of stuff. These are, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die. That's sort of like fatalist, you know, a fatalist view. Yeah, hundred um, percent. I don't have, I don't have an issue with it. But I guess what you're trying to say here is that Noel is that it doesn't matter if you make that choice as long as you make an informed choice. Absolutely. So it's about making an informed choice. If that your is your choice is to just don't worry about it, just go for it, rip in, go hard. You know, you know, live a short life and a good life, a fast life. Yep. Um, that's fine, but make an informed choice. Absolutely, you're about people making informed choices. Absolutely, have the have the information, have the data to to make a decision that is informed, and and that's okay. You know, we're certainly not going to try to force anyone to do anything. But for those individuals who do want to make some subtle or small changes, we need to be in a position to be able to help. Them. Uh, and before I go, I just want to: is there is there a, a change in the tide? Though are people. I mean, obviously you're aware of these sorts of people I'm talking about, but have you seen a subtle or a dramatic change in people's outlook, you know, around this stuff? In other words, people are starting to think, yeah, you know, maybe I will uh, start doing exercise. Is there some subtle change? My gut feeling there is, but do you think societally there is a subtle change around people's view on their health? I, th I think we can improve, or I really do. I think there's a big, I think there's a big um, steep curve that we can improve. Oh, I, I'm concerned about um, the health of Australians, the health of people in, in, in the Western world. Um, I have real concerns for the burden and the cost um, that's going to sort of come down on, you know, our children. Um, I think that we really do need to do something pretty significant because, um, yes, I think people are starting to think about it, but I think the action is still some way off. And I think we're, the, the, the data's showing that we're going in the wrong direction and we're going in the wrong direction pretty quickly. So we do need to do something pretty serious. And how do we fare straight relative to everybody else? I mean, oh, we're, we're right up there with the best in terms of... Best uh, in terms of bad or bad? In, in terms of bad. Really? Yeah, we are. We're in the top third 
um, of OECD countries in terms of um, obesity. Wow. Um, we're, we're up there. I don't really so, know that many people in that in that category, but like obviously, well, I keep hearing that that Australians are getting more obese as yeah, we go on. Yeah, no, we are. We've got some really significant concerns in this country. Um, we do a lot of work in uh, the UK, um, Ireland, and Germany, and those countries as well. Um, I think any of the, the wealthier countries um, have, have serious issues with uh, with obesity, and then of course, you know, the diseases that do come from obesity. Um, uh, certainly very significant and, and I think that we need to make some pretty significant changes in the way that we talk about it and certainly the way that we address it but it does need to come down to the individual and the last thing we can do is preach to them and that's why we need to be really subtle with the language and we really need to be encouraging we really need to make th- make choices simple for individuals to be able to improve their health. Are you part of the nanny state then? No, absolutely not, 100% and that's one of the reasons why we don't preach and we don't tell people what to do but what we do is to provide solutions for individuals to make a choice. Good morning, Matt. What have we got on today? What business are you showcasing that is for sale in mentored.business listings? Morning, Mark. We've got a solar business in the southwest of Sydney this week. Very topical, solar. I mean, I, 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 mean, I can't wait for Elon Musk to invent a uh, battery that can actually store all the solar power we harvest from our roof uh, that's small enough and cheap enough to make it worthwhile. But the solar panel business, and it's funny, I've only been thinking about it recently, putting it up on my farm. So, and I'm, I have no idea how you get solar panels. So what is this business that you've got for sale? Look, it is solar business essentially, but they are moving into the battery business as well. So obviously that's still new technology. Um, it's been going for about two and a half years. Um, got an owner that kicked this business off and, and it's his first business. And he's, he's jumped up in um, turnover about half a million dollars and he's finding it probably a little bit big for himself. And what he'd like to do is either partner with somebody or preferably even just sell the business and work back for them or something along those lines. So he sells the business and stays on as a contractor or alternatively he brings in a partner and the two, two people run it together, something along those lines. Have a look at the business for anybody that's um, got an interest you don't necessarily need to have a, an expertise in the area, but if you've got an interest in solar or renewable energies, perfect for that style of uh, individual or somebody that's already in the industry that wants to tag on a new business. So where are we talking about? Which city, state? Uh, Southwest Sydney. Southwest Sydney, right. Okay. And I mean, I guess what I need to ask, are we talking about putting solar panels on people's houses? They do both. So essentially they will, uh, typically they will go out and talk to somebody like yourself and, and, and advise them the best solutions for their home. Um, and then they'll have installers that will come out and do the work. Okay, so you can buy it from them and they can also install it for you as absolutely, well. Absolutely, they'll do the lot. And you don't need to be a solar panel expert on it for absolutely. such a thing. But... No, no, absolutely not. You know, as long as you've got an interest in renewable energies, I think that's probably the best part. So if you want to buy this business as a solar panel business, go and talk to Matt at mentor.business. That's Matt Holland. He's the managing director there. Go and talk to him. Or, by the way, if you've got a business that you want to sell, contact Matt as well. So we've got a lot of businesses that are listed there, heaps and heaps of them. So you're, if you're a buyer, go to that site, have a look what's there available. If you want to sell something, go and have a look how Matt will help you sell your business. Now, at mentor.business, there's a saying, and that saying is, there is a better way to sell your business. Because I know a lot of people trying to sell their businesses and they are failing. So go and talk to Matt and let's see if he can help you out. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Mark. We're back with Dr. Noel Duncan, and he a, has a PhD in exercise physiology, and we have been talking about sort of like the um, addressable market in the world today of unhealthy people and how he intends to 
address that and fix it or, and or disrupt it or change it or make money out of it. So, Noel, we have discussed sort of where the aggregate demand and why the aggregate demand is there. And we sort of did a little bit of a profile on, you know, a typical um, customer of yours. But tell me what the business is. So, A, what is your product? The primary product that we've built is a physical health station. So it's 2.4 metres tall, about a metre by a metre. And what it allows the individual to do in a public facility is to do a free health check. So, so where, where's do, the facility? for? So it could be in a Priceline pharmacy downstairs here. Okay. Right. Um, downstairs in, here at the World, World Square. Square. Correct. Yep. In your um, building here. Um, and the health check will take about four and a half minutes. So you can do your height and weight to give your body mass index. So you walk you in one of these booths? Walk in, no, it's actually not a booth. No. It's actually a, it's an open facility. And yep. you just walk in and it's sitting on the, on the floor um, of the retail um, environment. And you can just go up and hit the touch screen, hit start, and it will actually prompt you to do a health check without anyone's assistance. Um, and it's very important that it's very, very simple and it doesn't require anyone's assistance. And so you do your height and weight to give your BMI. You do you your take your shoes pre- off and uh, take your shoes off. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Keep your socks on. Yeah. We recommend you keep your socks on. And clothes weigh and so, m- most clothes, clothes weigh about two kilos. Yeah, so we don't tell people to take their clothes off. So um, and then you do blood. But pressure. that's interesting. You should. Can I just say? Yeah. Sorry, I weigh myself every day. Yep. Now I don't know whether it's, it goes back to my boxing days where when I was always trying to make weight. I was always overweight, so I was always trying to make the lower weight division, and I would become obsessed about you know, what I was weighing today. And I would know right down to the, if I ran, like if I ran, ran, if I wake, if I go to bed at 85 kilos, I know I'm going to wake up at 84 and a half kilos. If once I run, I know I'm going to be coming about 83 and a half kilos. And, uh, and I become obsessed and I still weigh myself every day, just once now, but then I would weigh myself like every hour. Um, but weight is quite important. It, it's really important because it makes you conscious of you know, just yourself as an awareness thing. So the first thing you're saying to me is you weigh yourself. You do. Right. Yep. That's interesting. Yep. And that's yep. why I said to you about the clothes, because yep. I can tell you exactly what, what I've got on, on any particular time. I can weigh myself with my clothes on. And I know what actually what my stripped weight is going to be. And I think people should become more aware of the weight. I know people say, oh, I never weigh myself. Well, fuck, you should know what your weight is. True. Yeah. We, we would agree. We would agree. And a lot of people don't weigh themselves. And, yeah. And that's one of the reasons why... Um, you know, we're encouraging people to do a free health check, you know, six, eight times a year, um, just so that they, we can graph their weight. You know, really, really simple. So the individual also gets their height, which will allow how us to do, do How does it so measure your height? So we've got a sonar uh, oh, right. sensor yep. at the top. Yep. And so using the sonar, we can accurately, you know, get their height. Um, and then from that, we get their body mass index. And again, we can graph that for the individual. And then the really important measurement for us can is... Can I just go back to BMI or body yeah, mass body index? Body mass index, um, yep. It's a, it's a bit of a crude measure, it is. but but it doesn't it is. matter. It, it is, is nonetheless a measure because I don't is. want people to come back and say, well, yeah, body mass index means fuck all because it you know you might be particularly muscular yeah. with no weight on you, no fat on you, True. and the BMI might be a high reading relative to your height, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't. It's BMI this month compared to BMI next month compared to the next month. 100%. Is that right? Correct. So so it's not, it's, it's a measure. Compared, exactly right. And, and, and it's one of many measures that yep. we're taking. Correct. So, so we're talking an aggregation of measures. Correct. So people don't get all caught up in these things. Okay. Exactly right. Right. And so, so you know, weight, 
BMI, yeah, BMI yeah. height. Height's yeah. not that relevant to yeah. your health, no, I guess. Correct, but... it is. But the thing is, what we're also encouraging is that as young kids to jump on it as well and track their height. I mean, mm. when I was growing up, we used to do the laundry door, you know, correct. with a pencil mark. And Me stuff too. Like, you know, things have changed. You jump on the health station and track your height and graph it. You know, yep. three, years, 17, 18, 19, 20 years of age. So um, then we do the blood pressure. Now, as we know, you know, hypertension and blood, um, high blood pressure is, you know, one of the biggest killers um, in the world. Um, globally, um, you know, stroke and, and a whole range of different things that are coming off that. So we want people to know their blood pressure. And the other reason- Most people don't understand it though, Noel. They um, don't. And that's one of the reasons why- Diastolic and systolic. I mean, people don't know what the fuck we it don't, means. We don't, want them, we don't need them to understand it. But what we do want them to understand is if they can graph their results over time and there's a change, then okay. we can triage that individual okay, into some you support. Use word, triage. Let's just put that, park that word for a minute because that's a really important word okay. in the context of what you're saying. Yeah. But what you are trying to do here from what I can see is, and what people need to understand, is that you are trying to build up a list of markers and you also want to then have look at changes in the markers. Exactly. So, yep. Blood pressure, Absolutely. height, weight, um, BMI. Yep. Blood pressure, correct, which is yep, yep, which yep. is really important, very important. So, and and of course these things can change throughout the throughout the day. But let's let's sort of put that aside for a minute. But um, when do you suggest someone does this? Is the best thing time to come and do one of these first thing in the morning or last thing at night? Oh look, opportunistically, what we're trying to do is just encourage people, not dissimilar to the way that you're you know measuring your weight every day. Do it as often as you like, and then you, what you can do is you can get a, an aggregated measure. Mate, so, I measure my fucking so, blood pressure. I have a it's good. I, I it's actually good. have a blood pressure good. thing in my office. Good, well, and I, sometimes I measure it two or three times a day. Sometimes, yeah. Yeah, but, and what we need you now to do is to graph that on a daily basis. I do, and so mate, I graph the sunshine right, the sun rising and the sun setting every day of the week. My what my secretary does. And I like because I like to know when the sun, when the days are getting longer by 30 to 40 seconds, which is our post 21st of June. Although this year was post uh, 12th of July. There was a bit of an anomaly in the um, orbit of the Earth, Earth orbiting the sun this year. But uh, I, graph, I graph everything. So it, it, I mean, I, I, I graph this sort of stuff. You're I know right. my weight. So, and I think it comes down, that for me, it's an obsession, but for me, I think that is a trigger for me to tell me there's something wrong, which is what you're trying to say here. Exactly, exactly. All these things. are just triggers. And, and, and I'll give you one little story about blood pressure. Is We had a lady who came, in, came into one of our retail stores and uh, she was 33 years of age. She was really fit. She was really, really healthy. Um, she jumped on the health station and did a health check and she got a high systolic blood pressure reading. Well, so, you better explain what that means. So there's two readings that people need to know about. One is the systolic, which is the first measurement. and That's the, the one variables. on the, that's the numerator on yes, the top. Yes, on the top. So and you know, 120 um, would be an ideal sort of. Yep. Um, and, and what happened was that she did her, her high, um, blood pressure and it was high. And so she the, dismissed the, the, it. The top number was high. The top number was high. Give okay. me an example it's of high. A, 145. Right. Okay. For her age. For her age. Yep. Now she dismissed it, okay, as the machine being in a public facility and I'm fit and and I'm healthy and I just did a 10 kilometer fun run and there's nothing wrong with me. She came back to the store and did the same reading again the week later, opportunistically, um, didn't plan it, again got another high systolic blood pressure reading, Um, again dismissed it, but thought because we'd encouraged her to go to the GP, she'd go to the GP and uh, and get her result um, clarified. She had a cardiac condition um, and actually had a really, really serious cardiac condition that was picked up by the high blood pressure. Um, now, invariably, she would never have measured her um, herself um, because she's fit and healthy. 
But it's that kind of triage that what we're trying to do is to get people into you know, into the GP network or into the allied health network for support if we can identify that there's something wrong with her. Now, she's written to us and she said, you know, we've changed her life and thank goodness it was, you know, she was a ticking time bomb. Um, and that's one one health check. We've done nearly 3 million health checks um, to date. So that's one individual. But what we're trying to do is just to provide information to people to make an informed choice. And okay, so, one, okay, I got it. So can I ask you this now? Yep. Blood pressure? Yep. Height, yep. weight, correct. BMI, any yep. other body readings? Fat. Body fat. So, yes, we do bioelectrical impedance. Um, what does that so mean? So what you do is you hold two little paddles um, yep. on the health station. We send a microcurrent, like a microcurrent yeah, 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 yeah. through through the body. Yep. The speed of the current um, different, is different depending on how much um, water, fat, and muscle and bone you've got in your system. And what we can do then is take the, an algorithm from that or a measurement from that and give you an indication of your body fat. Right. Um, we're also adding on muscle mass. And we're also adding on total body water over the next couple of months. We're also um, partnered with Diabetes Australia, to, and we've got the OSD Risk, which is the Diabetes Risk Assessment Questionnaire on the health station, so we can give the individual a uh, diabetes risk score. And again, what we're trying to do is to make people aware of type 2 diabetes and their risk of getting type 2 diabetes. And if the individual um, is at risk of type 2 diabetes, We'll triage them into one of the Diabetes Australia programs. They've got some, you know, a fantastic free programs for people to be able to get involved. So what they can do is from the health station, go to diabetes and diabetes will then look after them. We also partner with the Stroke Foundation and uh, and do the same thing with the Stroke Foundation in terms of actually supporting individuals who you know might be at risk. I'm going to um, so because I I want to hurry on because I don't want to miss out on anything. We've only got a limited amount of time, so I'm going to ask you a couple of quick questions. Yeah. So you've got all these measurements. Yep. So I, I go down to the price line downstairs and yep. I do all this. Yep. Um, do I pay? What does it cost me? Free. Free. Right. Okay. Yeah. So that's that's We're another incentive for me free. to do it. So it's free. Yep. It's easy to do. Yep. I just wander in there and do this. And how free. long does it take? Four and a half minutes. Four and a half minutes. Okay. Yep. So it's free. Cost me four and a half minutes. Yep. It takes me four and a half minutes in terms of my time. Yep. It's convenient because it's these are located in convenient places. Yep. So We're downstairs. I, I'm just yep. going to walk past them. I might as well do it. Yep. Um, then that information, do I, do I do I have to enter in my details? Or you do. Yeah. So you enter your inf- in information. Um, so you enter it, your, your your name and your date of birth and uh, your email address, and then we will communicate with you and send all of your results to your email. Right, so, okay. Now, when we send your email, um, it's just a link to the portal. Um, we're not allowed to include any results in an email um, because it's PII or yeah. per, it's, uh, and it's very sensitive information. We treat your health information the same way that we would treat your financial information. And so what we've decided to do as a business is to be hyper-transparent with that. So you own the information that you put into the system. We are the custodians of that information. We have a legal and moral responsibility to look after it. And so what we do is we encrypt everything. So if we ever did get hacked, um, God help, we, we never will, but if we did, the only individual can get encrypted data. So we will look after that data for you for the rest of your life and you can come in and look at it and it'll be graphed um, and we'll also then encourage you to get involved in one of the programs, whether it be healthy eating or healthy aging or a sleep program or a weight training program um, off the back of the information that we're providing to and you. And how do you make money out of this if it's free? Tell me how you do that. Yeah, so there's... The financial there's, model. There's a few different um, commercial models that we're... That we that we work through. One is we lease our health stations um, to, to part, the chemists, to, to partner organisations, yeah. um, and that drives traffic. Absolutely, and and Priceline API, Australian Pharmaceutical Industries, an unbelievable partner of ours. They've been really really supportive, um, understand the importance of looking after people's health, 
and uh, and have been fantastic for us. Um, the co-op in the UK, which is one of the big supermarkets in the UK, very similar philosophy, wanting to be able to look after their customers, have a huge corporate and social responsibility angle, and so want to be able to make sure that their customers um, are making the right and informed um, choices. So we make money from from the lease. We also make money from triaging individuals into various programs, whether it be you know one of the um, government programs or one of our partner programs. But what we're also working through is, is secondary revenue streams as well. Um, we're adding on atrial fibrillation. Um, and so part of the health check in the future will be paid for. But if we're identifying um, atrial fibrillation, um, heart rate variability and some more sophisticated um, tests, the individual will pay for those. But the basic health check is always going to be free. We'll never, ever charge anyone for looking after their data is, as well. Is, so. is this um, attached to an app? I mean, like in other yeah, words. Yeah, correct. Yep. We've got an app. We've got the portal. Um, and then the other way that we're making um, money is aggregated and de-identified data and providing that information back to our corporate partners. So we've got some amazing corporate partners um, whereby we can tell them um, about the health of their staff. And, we, and if they've got $10,000 to spend, where should they be spending that money and what should they be spending it on? So... As an example, we know that um, in Liverpool, um, we've got a high percentage of smokers. We know that the smokers are going to be between 25 and 30 years of age, and we know they're going to be male. So if you've got $10,000, spend it on a smoking program, spend it in your Liverpool office and target this particular population, as opposed to running a smoking cessation program across you know, 10,000 staff, which we know um, is just going to be so a waste can, of money. So you can offer concentrated management to corporates? In terms of what they spend, in terms of the health of their, enhancing the health of their, their business and absolutely, their yeah, absolutely, and and being really specific with the, the interventions that they're running because corporates will can waste a lot of money running programs that actually just don't help their staff. But we know that you know if there's a two percent smoking, um, you know, smoking um, uptake in an organisation, don't run a smoking cessation program. But if you know that your IT um, guys are all overweight and not making the right food choices, spend some money on trying to help them do that. So how many of these stations you've got in all? Like where, where are We've they? built 375. Yep. We've built them here in Australia. We're looking at Physically off- build them here. Physically yep. build them here in Australia. Yeah, we're and looking at And are they offshore. located here in Australia? Or- yeah, no, we've got uh, about 280 of them located here. Um, we've got the remaining in Ireland, um, the UK, and we've got two in, uh, in Germany. Um, for, on the factory floor in the BMW factory, um, looking after the staff of the um, BMW um, employees, and we rotate those staff, uh, rotate those stations around the BMW factory plants you know, in Germany. You know, it's interesting to me. I mean, one of the just an observation. I don't know if it's right, correct, or wrong. It's a personal observation, survey one. But it seems to me the emerging markets, the where or the emerging middle class markets like India and China and you know Asia and generally, but um, Thailand is a good example. Um, Philippines now is a good example. Um, there's an emerging market of uh, unhealthy people um, because years ago they didn't have enough money so they couldn't eat much. They just have to eat. They're more lean. Um, now they're drinking beer, they're smoking cigarettes, and they're eating more crap. Um, you know, they're eating all the takeaway stuff mm. that you know, mm. we've been doing for a long time. Um, and generally speaking, um, they're not really aware of the sorts of things you're talking about, BMI, you know, heart rate, not heart rate, um, blood pressure, et cetera. Um, is there a market in Asia for this? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, if we are. We look, Especially we're a, if it's free. We're having a couple of conversations at the moment um, with a p- couple of partners. Um, I, th- I think a partnership model will be the best way for us to go um, into Asia. You know, we're, we're, we've got um, a business over in the UK, which is running um, our Irish and, and German um, programs. But we think a partnership model in, in Asia is going to be the best way to do that. 
and uh, and having a couple of conversations with a couple of groups up there at the moment. Um, we certainly know that. Um, well, here in World Square, um, you know, there is a, a large Asian community um, within World Square. We're getting around about 70 health checks per day on wow. that station downstairs. Really? And is that so, the Priceline one? So in the Priceline, wow. yeah. Oh, you weren't making so, that up. There is actually is one. There is a Priceline downstairs. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Then I will go to another so, one. Yeah, and that gets around about 70 health checks per day. Right. Um, we do know that at least half of that is uh, is from um, international um, you know, coming in and uh, and visiting. So Price I must be happy if we just give them a big, so, big rap here. Maybe I'll just send them a bill or something. It's unbelievable. <laughs> um, the, this is not the uh, live reader, the price line. No, I'm only joking. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, okay. That's, uh, and what are your ambitions? Like, what are we talking about here? Like well, globally, we've got an ambition um, in in Australia, the UK, Ireland, and Germany to have a health station within five kilometres of everyone living at the moment in in, in those. Um, in so what's that mean? What are you talking about? So we're talking around about two thousand health stations. All up, all up, possibly two, in those 2, 000, four places. Yeah, two two and a half thousand health wow. stations, and then it will allow everyone to be able to do a free health check. And if we think that if we can allow people to do free health checks, then they're going to be in a position to be able to make an informed choice. Now, maybe you know they're not going to do anything. That's okay, you know. But even getting a health check once a year, um, potentially in five years, six years, ten years, they might want to do something. But we also might be capturing a lot of people who didn't realise that they had a particular health issue. We might be able to get them into the GP network. We might be able to get them into some other network to be able to support them. Um, or, you know, we might, there's a lot of worried well as well. So can, I, can GPs, can my GP, let's say I do, can my GP get um, health care access to my readings? If you authorise it, yes. Yep. yep. Because you own the data. Yep. And so you're the, you're the data controller. And so um, you could give access to your GP if you want. And the, our ideal scenario will be that we do partner with some of the, the GP groups and we push the data directly into the GP practice software so that when you do go and see your GP, yeah. he can look at your last six blood pressure results and your body mass index and all those kind of things and say, actually, we've noticed a change, as opposed to a lot of people who will go to their GP once every three years, and that's going to be the one data set that the GP's working off, as opposed to potentially 10 health checks that they could have done in a public facility. So the ideal scenario for us is to push it through with informed consent of you to your GP, and then your GP can make some decisions. But we're also, you know, AI, I'm sure, you know, you, yep. you guys... Um, we're talking a lot about that over the journey. What we want to be able to do is to is to build in some AI models for predictive modelling as Get well. Get ahead of it. To be able to support the GPs to make a decision. Hey, we know that if you continue down this track, the chances of you getting A, B and C are going to be higher. Again, we're not telling the individual what to do. All we're doing is providing that individual with the information to make a choice. It's really interesting, Noel, the, the whole world of uh, sensors, because, you know, you rely on sensors for this to work. You've got to have – you've got a sensor in your um, – um, weight, the, the, the yep. machine that weighs you has got yep. sensors in it. Yep. Um, um, the machine that um, takes your blood pressure has got sensors in it. So the whole world of sensors, where, and whereby those sensors then are connected up to um, something to do the analytics and then send it back through the internet to your central place where portal, you portal, hold, yep. hold all your information yep. and, you know, where you store all your data. Your vault. Data lake. Uh, yeah. And then um, then the internet again will send that information through the email system. So to, you know, the individual who stood on the machine and that it virtually ha that stuff all virtually happens instantly. Um, it's sort of interesting how the world of sensors and using internet and there's no people involved here. It's This is a machine to machine. Machine, the machine I step on in Priceline is talking to the computer in your office which then talks to my computer and there's been no people involved. 
nothing. And, uh, and, and it's all been done by machines and sensors. And you've just talked about AI and then overlaying this stuff as artificial intelligence that the software has, that it starts to be predictive and starts to then um, prompt me, me, the person who stood on the machine in the first place in Priceline, prompt me about outcomes and things to do or and or not to do. Um, and I guess what your business is doing is you're tapping into that because, you know, without the enablement that's come from sensors and machine technology and what they call the Internet of Things, um, machine talking to machine, we wouldn't have any of this. And you wouldn't be able to change the way people look at their health. I, I think that's probably right. And that's only something the last 10 years, maybe. So that, that's a big thing. I mean, that, that, that's... We need to be really careful, too, because I, I think that people don't want to be monitored 24-7, you know, and, and, and a lot, we'll get a lot of comparisons to, you know, the Fitbits and the Apple Watches and things like that. And, you know, I think they're great. I think they're... They're fantastic, but I don't really want to be tracked 24-7. You know, I want to be able to dip in and dip out, and I also want to know that my information is stored securely, and I also want to know my information isn't being sent off to someone else. And so what we're trying to do is to walk that fine line, and I think over the next few years, you know, we, we really need to be hyper-transparent in what's happening with the information, what's happening with your data, and, and also being really, really careful as not to monitor people too much, to allow that individual the control to monitor themselves when they want, but I think it's very, very important. We're going to have to sort of, you know, monitor that as a business um, and make sure that we don't sort of become too invasive um, with people. And the other thing is to, one of the things that we're really conscious of is the cost to serve and making sure that whatever you can do is scalable because, you know, not everyone can afford a Fitbit, not everyone can afford a Garmin or, or and so what we need to do is to make sure that healthcare and health checks are accessible to the entire population because it's potentially the individuals um, who don't have access to this that we can help the most. Democratizing so, healthcare, I love it. We are. It's exactly what we're trying to do and, and to make it, uh, you know, there's a, big, there's a big social aspect of our business. Of course, we have to make money. We're not going to be very, uh, we're not going to be around for very long if we're not making money, but we have to be able to make sure that we provide these health checks for people. At what point um, do insurance in companies get involved? I mean, like, I mean, that's an important question. That's the elephant in the room. And like, I find out something or other, my, my blood pressure is high and I get, I do it twice over a three month period and I know my insurance policy is coming up for renewal. What happens? So we do know that, um, that there can be no difference in your policy based on your health metrics. Um, a lot of the community don't realize that. Um, most people would think that, you know, I can be so penalized. I can be penalized if I've got a high BMI and I smoke with my health insurance. Well, actually, no, you can't be. Different to life insurance, you can be penalized in life insurance for, yeah. for, for that. Where do the health insurance um, companies sit in all yeah, this? I mean, it's, a where really, it's a really, really good question. And, and obviously, we're having open conversations with them about it at the moment because we do hold the most amount of what we will call health data in Australia and in the UK. Um, we don't hold the most amount of disease data, but in terms of health data, we've got the most amount of health data in Australia. Um, and so we can tell, you know, which postcode has the highest rate of diabetes or which um, postcode has the highest smokers. And so I think that there's a role in terms of targeted interventions for these particular health insurers. And so, but what, what they can't do is, is target individuals and, and change the rates. Well, you're not going to tell them the about individuals, are you? Correct. No. And we never would. I, mean, I guess you could tell them about a postcode. You could sort of say like everybody living in Bonner Junction, um, in the, you know, 2030, uh, Postcode, if yep. that's, I don't know if yep. that is postcode, but um, is a smoker or yep. 95% of a smokers, in which case it may be that if you're setting up a health insurance, a life insurance policy, um, you might get penalised on your premium. 
life insurance, absolutely. Yeah, health yeah. insurance, no, yeah. Not but health insurance, but life, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And there's some really interesting things coming out, um, you know, particularly in South Africa and particularly in uh, in the US, um, which are doing some amazing things with, with health insurance. And I think our, our insurance uh, health companies in Australia could um, be moving a little bit faster and doing a little bit more innovative and a, and a little bit more... Um, uh, uh, preventative in terms of, you know, their, their thought processes um, and copying potentially what they're doing in South Africa and particularly in the US in terms of targeted interventions and supporting in supporting people. Wow. I mean, this is, uh, I mean, as soon as early stages, this is a massive data market. It's a massive change in the way people think. It's a massive way of people being informed as to a way they were never informed before. I'm not just talking about individuals, I'm talking about insurance companies that, you know, even Gov- the chemists, Gov- government, government, even like the pharmaceutical society or something like that. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like it's just so much data mm-hmm. and information. And I, I love this. I mean, I love data, but the, the, the um, collection of data and then the um, analytics around the data and the metrics that individuals enjoy, but also the metrics that you can build up from the people who visit these sites to sort of be predictive, um, extraordinarily powerful. And uh, over time, this is where the world's going in everything, and not just in health, and just generally in everything. I mean, lenders like me, we do the same thing. We're always looking at the metrics of your behaviours to how you pay your bills, when you pay them, when you don't pay them, if you miss a payment on your mortgage. We know pretty much everything about you, and uh, and we actually understand your health, your financial health. Yep, exactly. Um, probably better than you understand. We understand your financial health probably better than most people understand your actual physical health. Mm. Financial health is really well understood. I, I, would, I would agree. Actually. Really well understood. I don't I understand agree. why we don't understand our personal health as much as we understand our business 100%, health. Mark, yeah. what, 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 what hasn't happened in this country, like, which is what you're doing, is that individuals don't understand the financial health as well as the institutions do. As an institution, my business understands your financial health better than you do. And, um, and then there is a business for this. I mean, I'm thinking the whole time when you're talking about this, about what I could, what business I could be setting up in financial <laughs> health, but that's great. Look, I, no, I, we've run out of time and as usual, I mean, I'm, and I, I got in, I get sort of intrigued by the conversation, but, um, I always offer everybody the opportunity to ask me a question because I've been doing ask or asking all the questions. So have you got any questions you want to ask me? I've got lots actually. I, um, was thinking about it actually coming in, but, um, well, the, probably the, the one that would intrigue me most is that, you know, you've spoken to 300, 400, 500, you know, people in this forum. Um, and I'd be really interested to see from your perspective what the one theme or, or, or the one sort of nugget that, that, you, that you would sort of provide me from talking to those 300, 400 people in terms of, you know, scaling our business at the moment. And, and what we're trying to do, you know, on an international scale, we're not interested in just scaling it through Australia. We are genuinely trying to push it out internationally. And so I'd be really interested in your view in terms of, you know, what the one or two nuggets are talking to these. Well, it's interesting, you know, that it seems to me the most successful people that have come through, this sounds terrible, but um, have been just offering really simple products like, you know, uh, tanning products or uh, teeth whitening products or that sort of stuff. Um because it's, and I'm not suggesting, you know, these aren't sort of deep and meaningful um, businesses that these guys run, get their girls who run these businesses who have at least the ones who have been here in the podcast. But it, it they are very simple, easy messages to transport through Instagram and Facebook and, and you know, all that sort of uh, social media environment. 
and they seem to be the most successful. It seems like people out there in the world who access social media are more interested in how they look and also how they feel as opposed to how they are. So I would have thought your business's big challenge is building the awareness and getting people to know there is one of these things down a price line. And uh, and it's not, I noticed your name is Sisu, Sisu or something. Sisu, like. Finnish word. Finnish word means resilience and, and toughness. Okay, well, that's a word that's I don't speak Finnish. Um, nor do I. I and uh, nor do you. Um, but but all of a sudden, I, I just, but it's not, they're not coming to look at a Sisu machine. They're, they're going to Priceline. So it seems to me that you're, from what I've learned, in terms of success, people being successful at building awareness, is that the the more um, simple and aesthetic it is, the easier it is to build the awareness. Yours has depth and complexity, so therefore it's and it's and it's you're not selling your particular product, someone your products in someone else's brand like Priceline, and therefore it's harder for you. That's a bigger challenge for you to get that message out. And I think your business, by the way, is a perfect one for influencers. You would be far more successful at building your brand if you, I don't know if you are or you aren't, but if you use the influencers and use their Instagram following, you know, someone like, uh, I don't know, um, Australian movie star or something saying, and Russell Crowe, he's, you know, says, I just lost, I went from that weight to this weight and this BMI to that BMI and this blood pressure, that blood pressure after doing the recent movie he's done or the TV series done, I've lost 50 kilos and I've been tracking it by using your machines and I've been going down the local price line. Some, yeah. Someone like him, I don't even know if he has an Instagram, I wouldn't have a clue, but I mean, I would normally follow him because he's the chairman of South Sydney. So, um, and I, I, and I can't be having to do with South Sydney, but 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 nonetheless, those influences I think would be great to build your awareness. I mean, you come on the show, we can build your awareness on the show, but the awareness program is is a big game for you, and you're trying to not just build it here in Sydney. You're trying to build it globally. So I, that's one of the things I've learned from doing all these podcasts. It's aesthetics and before and afters. I mean, are we? I mean, Lockie, what's the name of um, uh, the young lady Egan? What's her? Yeah, what's the name? Sparkling white smiles. She just shows before and afters all the time. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And uh, she's killing them. Mm. And she's got a bit of a look it up. Well, she's got a similar oh. business to you in that she f- franchises. You're sort of franchising in that you're distributing it through Priceline. It's not a proper franchise, you know what I mean? But And she franchises her business all around the countryside. And uh, the way she gets people to take up the offering to offer it to consumers is by continually um, hitting up Instagram, showing how well someone's done in a particular area. And then she has a massive demand for people to open up these teeth whitening boutiques at people's homes. So what you're trying to do is just open up health boutiques yeah, for people to... at Priceline mm. or at mm. commercial places. Yeah, absolutely, corporates. So, yeah, and so so look up sparkling white smiles. I will. I'll go and and uh, she, she's a and on Instagram she's it's a very simple business. It's mm. about aesthetics, but. And it, it doesn't really, I don't think it's a health thing. Um, I don't know if there's any health benefits in it whatsoever. But, you know, that before and after, that works. It's simple, simple messaging. I mean, that's going to come down to your messaging. Simple is good. Simple messaging. Well, Noel, it's been a great pleasure. I, I love you, what mate. you're doing. I love the industry involved in it. I love artificial intelligence and all this, the predictive stuff you're doing. I love the idea of all the data you're collecting. Um, I, I think you're doing a great job because there's a good job for the country. Um, and I think there is a rising tide in your industry. So I wish you all the best, mate. Thank you for having me, mate. Appreciate it. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlingbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Support comes from ServiceNow the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier, all built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more.